Rodgers, almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. Special final, Jason Jones from Mothership and Dirty Saw Soccer. Some of the time, Patrick Knight from Nine. The game and Dirty Saw Soccer all the time is over there. Uh, hopefully, me and Joe are all sorted out on our audio <laughs> issues. Uh, <laughs> I think, think so there's a little bit of overlap in the talking. It, it, it turned into um, the 30 Rock bit about um, being on a show called Sports Shouting. <laughs> just screams the entire time. I mean, we, we were more measured than that. We are the, the you know, the, the Corva Coleman of Atlanta United broadcasters we're, i guess we're, but we're, we, we've been trying to fix our audio uh, technical difficulties except the manual is basically in a different language that you don't know <laughs> and so you're trying to you're also trying to translate what you're what you're reading to mm-hmm. what you so that it actually makes sense but yeah hopefully we're coming through loud and clear now yeah, yeah and not on top of each other all the time and eventually just devolving into to madness and chaos <laughs> and, and whatever rung of hell we put you guys into around minute 35 last week um so hopefully this is all good um we we, we consider this as some kind of uh hopefully this is something that you guys will forget forgive us for i, I guess and this extra show that we're doing we're calling an extra show because we weren't even going to do one yeah um it helps you guys feel better about it uh no real like structure to this one you can already kind of tell we're going off the rails which is great uh, the headline uh, is miles robinson his transfer value what? went up on transfer market from 1.1 <laughs> to 5.3 or whatever <laughs> we did it yeah we did it oh my god have we talked about transfer market on here before i don't know if we have we, we, let's, let's just let's do talk about it right now yeah let's, let's just, just do this right real. now it's fake as hell yeah it's a it's an algorithm it ain't real it's so it's it's hilarious Nothing real is, it's it's hilarious to me to see how many like how it's just seriously taken as like some measure of value uh, or just yeah it's bizarre it, i mean transfer market has some value in terms of being able to look up past stats, you know, histories and all that kind of stuff. But all the stuff related to the transfer market, ironically enough, is kind of bullshit. Yeah. And listen up, freaking Nate Silver over there at 538 <laughs> incorporating goddamn transfer market values in your soccer power well, index. That yeah. way we can know that Atlanta United matches up with like, I don't know, Chettenham Town. In the English championship. <laughs> Thanks for that, man. Glad you're yeah. using God dang transfer market values that me and Joe. It's probably y'all. It's probably just some dude. It's probably just a guy. A very low who level sees, guy. like the names. Yeah. Yeah. Who's <laughs> maybe an intern possibly <laughs> who like they're all just like kind of creating these algorithms and it's these bad algorithms stacked on top of each other that makes some other power rankings list or whatever. So, yeah. There's probably like, man, they're probably doing it by like Scrabble scores and stuff like that. Miles Robinson probably went up because like an M got changed from like three points in Scrabble to four. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that's that's all it takes. And then what happens it, is they probably just adjust with the algorithm enough. Like at 538, they're just adjusting the algorithm until it's like, OK, yeah, that look that looks like what the result should be. So that <laughs> must be correct. You know, <laughs> Oh God, <clears throat> you Fun know, stuff. I, I, I think I'm going to sit down with um Teodal football and maybe like John Mueller who are, who are much, much smarter than me and be like, let's, let's create an actual 
soccer power index that actually works similar to way that like college football has S and P plus, Mm -hmm, right. mm -hmm. Where they can kind of tell at least efficiency ratings and kind of, it does really well against the spread, things like that. Something like that for soccer would be something like that for MLS in particular would be useful and fun to have. And not that far away, I don't think, as long as he kind of put some effort into it and did something besides transfer market values. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, something like that, if it could be created, would be fascinating. Uh, I mean, technically, 538 does, you know, has something like this, but I don't take it seriously because it's just not um, because of what we were saying earlier. But I would say that I feel like soccer has got to be so difficult because there's just so many variables like MLS is not even yeah. playing with the same rules that some other leagues are in terms of substitutes and things like that. And um, pitch sizes are different. And obviously <laughs> we know the conditions of pitches are just wild, mm-hmm. very wildly across the world. So um, it, I think for all those reasons, it's really tough to do, but it was, certainly would be interesting because it's something that I think we've talked about on this show before, where it's like, is MLS catching up to Argentina, for example, have they surpassed Argentina in some ways? Like I think MLS is probably, a deeper league than something than maybe the Argentine mm-hmm. league. I might be just talking out of my ass right now, but that seems like something that could be a relatively safe thing to say. Um, obviously, there's super talented players there, but yeah, I mean, it's just very interesting to see how these leagues are com- compare because they're changing all the time. I think that's fair. I think it's fair. It's tough to kind of like as I'm sitting here thinking about how you might build something like that for MLS. Like, obviously, you would want to. Do something similar to what S and P Plus does, which is take the recruiting values of players, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so it'll take the recruiting recruiting class ranking and see how many five stars are there are, and incorporate that into some way into how they assess each roster's ability to move the ball efficiently, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the obvious like thing you would do, which five thirty eight technically does, is assess the value of a team and its players, but they use the transfer market values. Right. 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 But in saying that, as I'm thinking about it, like if you just used like the base salary for MLS teams, you get the teams at the top, like Inter Miami and Toronto FC <laughs> and yeah. the Los Angeles Galaxy. And then you go all the way down to the bottom and have the Colorado Rapids as far as right. payroll goes. Right. right. Yeah. So <laughs> it's all pointless, which maybe brings us to the baby. The biggest point about all of this is we do like what's technically a playoff preview, which is that none of this is real. We're all living in a simulation. <laughs> Every single thing about it is fake. And the fakest shit possible <laughs> is the MLS Cup playoffs. <laughs> Oh, you're you just geared up. You like you got really serious looking right at the camera talking about this is not real. We live in a <laughs> No, Sam, you, this is, this Sam, you just serious. you just you just threw out a million dollar idea, potentially a billion dollar idea, which is this <laughs> two, four, seven scouting website, except for soccer. And you just instead of doing recruits, you're just doing players in general. Oh, shit. So you just make five star players, four star players, players moving up, players and, moving down, losing stars, and gaining much stars. Like 24-7, you could just lie. Yes, absolutely. And you just sell it to uh, advertisers. Who's call you yeah, on it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Holy hell. <laughs> oh, man. This is something right here. Then you here. could incorporate combines, you know, get the, get the corporate sponsors <laughs> involved. You could, you could blow the whole thing out. Let's not talk That's about it anymore real. in case someone wants to steal this idea. Yeah, no, this is ours. This is ours. No one take it. 
No one take it. Uh, I thought you were going to pitch a million. I thought when you said a million dollar idea, following me talking about how fake this all is, I thought you were about to pitch me a really shitty version of the matrix where like the robots are like, actually everything is real, but we mess with the MLS cut playoffs in your face, guys. That's where we turn the fake a meter all the way up. Um, it certainly look, seems say like that, that sometimes. Right. Exactly. We say that to say that, that anything can happen. Um, we can kind of make educated guesses as best we can on these. Um, but I mean, last year you had a Columbus team who honestly wasn't that good. Get yeah. hot right at the right time um, and have enough match winners to make things happen. Um, and of course, they win MLS Cup. You had uh, in that same Eastern Conference, you had the God, really the seventh seed, I think the seventh seed New England Revolution. Something like going that. Through. Yeah. And making the conference finals just because Tejon Buchanan learned how to play fullback all of a sudden for some reason <laughs> and became really good at it and really introduced himself to the world. Um, there are these little tweaks and these little moments that, you know, over the course of the season, even out over the course of a four game single elimination playoff. Um, don't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They just don't. So, no, I mean, even I, even, I think even <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, well, I just say that to say that, you know, when we talk about how Atlanta United's going to lose this game, because we're going to talk about it, knowing me and Joe, um, that's that is the caveat to all of it. Of course. Yeah. And I mean, even Atlanta United fans should remember like 2018. I think we've talked about this before on the show, but, you know, in 2018, the team was really struggling going into the playoffs. I mean, they just came off a terrible performance against Toronto where they lost. I forget what the score was of that game, but um, really bad, bad loss against Toronto on decision day. They lost a huge game against New York Red Bulls toward the end of the season. That could have basically, basically clinched supporter shield as well. So and then nobody had any expectations for him. They go on and win MLS Cup. So um, I shouldn't say no expectations, but there were no positive vibes really around the team at that point uh, until they went to Yankee Stadium of all places and got a great result. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was funny. I was just doing an interview with uh, CBS last night uh, for the sports news. And, um, you know, maybe there's still, still some good vibes still lingering around in Yankee Stadium for Atlanta United to, to go capture. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, I, I think they got like clobber thumped. I think one of the times that maybe the last time they went there. Well, that's what I was, I was just, I'm just thinking. When when was the last they were the last time they were in Yankee Stadium was 2019. Is that right? That doesn't seem correct, but I think it might be. I don't remember going to Yankee Stadium in in 2020. I don't remember. Um, I don't remember it either. Were they there? No, no, because I was in uh, Red Bull Arena, and, um, and they played in Red Bull Arena at the beginning of the year. This is bad radio, but we can figure this out eventually. <laughs> um, what we do know is that a lot of these guys have not been uh, on the Yankee Stadium field. Uh, a lot of key players haven't, um, which which is going to cause some problems. It's going to cause some problems for sure. Um, we can kind of. Go ahead and start reiterating that right from the top and reiterating something that Jeff Lorenowitz has talked about to us on the Patreon, patreon.com slash five strip final for an extremely insightful hour with Jeff Lorenowitz. Um, and Gonzalo Pineda has talked about it as well. And this was Joe's favorite thing. And now it's my favorite thing because Joe said it and liked it a lot. And I like it a lot. It's kind of like playing with soccer vertigo. Um, Jeff Lorenowitz phrased it as there are no right angles to understand where you are in space, right? And it's such a strange concept. Maybe not strange, but it's a concept that makes a ton of sense when you think about it, mm -hmm. right? Um, 
it's like uh, being surrounded by walls and then all of a sudden you're in this big open field and you, your brain has to process where the lines are in a different way because they, they, you lose those reference points. You lose those reference points of where you need to be on top of the fact that the field is objectively small and maybe subjectively to a lot of people who have, who've kind of tested it out too small for MLS (laughs) regulation. (laughs) One way, by the way, you can, you can kind of tell and get an immediate um, grasp of the size of the field or at least the width is when you look at the corner, when, when there's a corner kick taken, there's a little dash mark that's by the corner. That dash mark is supposed to be 10 yards away from the, from the end or from the, from the, the sideline, the byline, I guess is the word I was looking for. That should be 10 yards. So you should have 10 yards on either side of the corners. And then the the um, the box is 44 yards wide. So you got 20 yards between those two tens plus the 44 yard box is 64 yards. And then you can just look at the gap, the gap between where that little dash is and the edge of the box. And so it is very close together <laughs> at NYCFC. It's like, yeah, it is literally like two yards. So, um, yeah, I don't know if they're quite at quite at the minimum of 70. But yeah, no, I mean, what Jeff said made a lot of sense. And it makes me think of just. You know, when you're on a field playing sports or even where, where, regardless of where you are, you kind of intuitively know where you are in space based on like the your kind of intuitive uh, uh, periphery. And like like you just like understand yeah. where you are based based on the things around you. And when you just have those stands that are in very odd places and kind of yeah the, the right angles that he talked about, you can understand why you would kind of lose that kind of sense of space and where you are. And obviously in a game like soccer, that kind of stuff is so important. Like I think it goes really understated by us because we talk about the game in terms of how much players are thinking about where they are in space specifically in given moments to try to cut off passing lanes, to create the, what is it? The cone that's behind them um, to, <laughs> mm-hmm. to block passing lanes and things like that. I mean, it is very precise. And so when you lose that, it makes a big difference. Um, and we'll see how we'll see how they're able to react to it. Basketball players talk a lot about having to acclimate to uh, the rim in different arenas and different places. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, just because the background changes and they have to kind of calibrate um, what their eyes are seeing and what depth they're at. Right. As far as putting a shot uh, up. And I think NYCFC is kind of like that, except behind the backboard, there's like an optical illusion. You know, mm-hmm. it's like one of those pictures you look at and it like spins if you stare at it too long, <laughs> yeah. you know, right. It's that level of kind of disorientation. I think if you're not entirely prepared for it or entirely used to it. Um, so with those two things up off the top, right. I think you have the, the caveat that this game's going to be weird just because it's MLS cup playoffs. And this game's going to be weird because the stadium and the field is weird. I think we can start to address the everything else yeah. about uh, the rest of this game. And Joe, you had a column up on DSS today that I thought really hit well and hit kind of extensively at the crux of the issues for Atlanta United when it comes to personnel and tactics. Yeah, I mean, I kind of just outlined what the decision points are going to be for Gonzalo Pineda coming into this game. And it's funny. It's funny writing it after having spoken to Jeff last week, because before I was pretty much of the mind where the team needs to be in a back four, you know, all the stuff that we've talked about and the like the reason, you know, with them beating Cincinnati in the way they did in that second half, that was kind of evidence of all of that that we've been talking about. But then I think about, you know, what do you have to do 
at Yankee Stadium specifically to get a result. And so maybe that is playing more conservatively. Uh, maybe that is playing with a three at the back, at least to start the game, to give yourself some some kind of footing and then you can grow into it. Uh, but there clearly are going to be some some things that Gonzalo Pineda has to has to you know decide on. He's going to have to decide on Marcelino Moreno. Um, if he starts, is he going to start in the in a central midfield uh, in a in a back three? If you do that, you're really isolating Santiago Sosa or you know. Heaven forbid, Franco Ibarra, if he's in there kind of alone by himself, because Marcelino Moreno's natural tendency is going to be to kind of vacate that area to go forward and and create things in the final third. So that's an issue. If you maybe if you want to try to avoid that, then you do go to a back four and push Moreno further up and play Rosetto in next to him. There are some different options to go to, but obviously it's going to be very important for Gonzalo Pineda to pick the right way for Atlanta United to start this game to kind of give them the best platform to succeed. And I didn't put it in the article because I didn't want to kind of state my own personal preference. But now that we're talking on a podcast, that's exactly what this is for. (laughs) And I think that what I'm kind of leaning towards is a back three with no Marcelino Moreno in the starting lineup. Your thoughts? It's complicated. This is really complicated. You could kind of see that in the way um, Gonzalo Pineda was at at training uh, the other day when we were asking about it, right? It's just, uh, of course, obviously, he... He's always the the smartest soccer guy in the room by a pretty significant amount. No doubt. Um, And, you know, he addressed it as best he could, but it's still up in the air for them, too. He said that uh, last week they really hadn't kind of gotten into um, training specifically for one being on the the Yankee Stadium pitch and two specifically for um, exactly how they're going to address NYCFC. Um, But I don't know, man. I don't know. And I think I'm going to I'm still at the point where I am leaning towards a back three um, to have Marcy off the pitch, though, is interesting to me. Yeah. Um, who's your front at well, that point? Um, so in a back three, I guess my preferred would be, um, you know, the back three that we've known or the back five, really, with Bello and Lennon. And then Santiago Sosa, Mateus Rosetto as your two central midfielders, and then the front three of Barco, Araujo, and Joseph up top. Um, I think then what you get is with the back five, uh, you really can eliminate <laughs> so much. Like you basically create no <laughs> gaps with how narrow that field is, and then going with the back five. Uh, you can really shut things down. And interestingly enough, that's that's what we saw uh, Tata Martino do in 2018. You know, when he he kind of changed his back three to more of a traditional back five. In fact, Sam, I I, I want to uh, give you a quiz here. Can you name the starting eleven from that match, the the 2018 one nil win that Atlanta United had? <sighs> okay. Um, and kind of give it to me in a formation. I'll get well. The formation's a five-three-two. Okay. <sighs> Fuck. Um, <laughs> Franco Escobar was there. He was. <laughs> Eric Rometty was there. Um, Joseph. Well, hold on. Hold on. You got you to give me them in position. In position. In position. So I can't even remember who the wingbacks were right now. Uh, Gressel <laughs> was on the right. Uh, he was Gressel was a central midfielder. He's in the central. Okay. Crap. Um, Escobar was not on the wing, right? He was a center back at that point. He was the right wing back. Is it okay? He was on the wing. Interesting. Escobar was the right wing back. Gressel was a central midfielder. Yep. Okay. Um, 
center backs were Leandro, of mm-hmm. course. Parkhurst, of course. Mm-hmm. And if Franco wasn't there, was Jeff a center back? It was. For that one? It was. Okay. And I, I had definitely <laughs> forgotten that. I would have, before <laughs> I looked this up before the show, I would have said the exact same thing you just did. Um, the rest, I mean, the no rest, the rest is pretty much straightforward. You had Garza on the left. Yeah. Uh, oh, the, Garza was alive. Cool. Yeah, the, the, yeah. He had, yeah, I think he had just returned to life for the Toronto game before <laughs> where they played terribly. But then, yeah, the three midfielders were Gressel, Remedi, and Nagby, and then Almiron and Joseph up okay. top. Um, but you know, I think that that just shows kind of that's a much different kind of formation and player personnel set within that formation that that taught than Tata had been using for much of that season. So I'm just kind of curious to see not whether we get something maybe that drastic, but I think that that just goes to show the mentality of Tata going into that game. And of course, the teams were experiencing something you know different. Every every team is unique, but I, I just do think that maybe they go into this game just with that little bit more conservative mindset, at least to start the game. Uh, and in this game, you had Tito Villalba and Ezekiel Barco, both on the bench two obviously really big attacking players for you that Tata opted not to use. Of course, Barco was not really playing for um, the team at that point. He was coming off on as a late sub in pretty much all the games throughout the playoffs. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of, I, I'm kind of leaning toward that's the way that, uh, Gonzalo Pineda is going to go, but give me, give me your reaction. Um, just kind of reading that piece and kind of what you're thinking with, uh, with the lineup and what Gonzalo Pineda might do. Yeah. I'm really trying to parse out what Gonzalo might do. It is tough for me right now because it feels like there might be some kind of wrinkle and I don't know what it is yet. You know, um, I just kind of like that, that Sun Tzu thing about like the, there's that story about the the army marches down and sees a guy. They're about to take over this town and just sees a guy playing the flute in the middle of that town. And that's all they see. They don't see another army. And they go, oh, shit. What do they know? Right. Mm. They retreat because that guy's there. Mm. And uh, in reality, they didn't have anything prepared at all. Um, so <laughs> in my head, I'm like, what's Gonzalo going to do? What's he got? What's right. he doing there? Just right. sitting there playing the flute. And uh, I, I don't know. It, may, it Honestly, it, it may just be. The safety blanket, you know, it's probably going to be that back three. I, I, I think he's fine with that at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, I, I think the other thing that 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 looking back at Tata's formation here um, that really stands out to me is how much he prioritized just clogging everything up from the back line, having five across five across a short pitch really takes away a lot of the the wing play that would happen in the attacking third. And then he packed that midfield with three with three central midfielders. I mean, I know Gressel can kind of get out into the wide spaces sometimes, but he really was playing as a central midfielder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to think that that Gonzalo Pineda is leaning toward doing something similar. I think that winning those midfield or not even winning midfield, but just make make midfield so unplayable. <laughs> you just have to be really tough to play against at Yankee Stadium. So. So what if you do exactly what Tata did, right? Like, what if we learn from the past here? And what if we do Ronald Hernandez? Yeah. As that, as that right back, right? And shift Brooks in the middle of the field and just have him and Sosa there to to screw things up. Have Hissetsu there to screw things up um, and help keep possession. Brooks would help with that. 
right? And in a tight space, I think he's he's definitely an upgrade over Franco Ibarra as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, have, even as I've, good. At, I've heard from a little. Have we just figured this out. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard from a little a little bird that uh, that that Lennon has has played some some central midfield in training before this season. Mm. Um, that was like way back in midseason, mm. I think, when they were struggling for some for some wingbacks, but or for for some central midfielders. Okay. But um, yeah, I mean, huh. I think he would definitely get you know in there what? and scrap. We, this is it for me. This is it. We did it. I, I think. I think we did it. I think we nailed it. Yeah. Um, the but, question is then, who do you put up top? I guess, but, right? Um, you know, you'd have Joseph, and then uh, Louise, I guess. Which I guess means you're leaving Zeke off. Am I doing math right there? No, I think you could play. Uh, well, no, you're right. Yeah. Um, if you were to, yeah, 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 <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, because Atlanta basically went, went with Joseph Martinez and Miguel Amaron, and those were just their dudes that were just doing yeah. the attacking. And I got to say, I you know. When it comes to Yankee Stadium, you do need to be kind of conservative with picking your moments to attack. And maybe you go full throttle when you do that. But if you try to play a game where you're trying to dominate and, you know, throw the fullbacks forward and all that, you're going to get exposed coming back the other way because the ball can turn over so easily there. And New York City knows how to get vertical very, very well. So um, I just think it's going to be really interesting. But I think. On the bright side for Atlanta United, you look at NYCFC and they're really shorthanded, uh, much more shorthanded than they've been at times this season because they don't have yeah. Tenor Holm. He's obviously out for the year. And then they just lost Keaton Parks, who's also out for the year, who's been a, a huge part of their midfield. And then James Sands lost. just gets called up to the U.S. men's national team. So he's got to travel down to Kingston. He'll obviously <laughs> be back for the game, but he's got he's going to be a little bit fatigued, probably. Joe Patrick, why did he get called up to the national team? <laughs> because... The legend, Miles Robinson, did the perfect thing for Atlanta United. Getting a red card when the game was in hand. Save himself a, the, uh, some travel. That was the most 8D Bakugan 40 <laughs> chess combination I've ever seen from anybody. Incredible move for Miles Robinson to disrupt NYCFC like that. Um, I didn't even think about it. At first I thought, oh good, he's coming home. And then when I saw that Sands was going, I was like, oh yeah. man, he gained it out. <laughs> he gained it out, man. Kaiser Soze did. Um, I want to add too. Um, Alexander Callens, their very good center back, suffered a, a muscle injury uh, while he was playing for Peru. That was on November 11th. Oh. He's back in New York now. Um, so that is another potential issue for NYCFC. Um, I didn't even know that. And yeah, no. And um, he's he's um, second on the team. And goals added, Callens, uh, the center back. Keaton Parks was third on the team. He was first for a lot of the year in goals added. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously Sands would be, a, he's going to play, but, you know, he might have heavy legs. Um, yeah, losing Tenorholm is huge for them as well. He's been one, he's been consistently one of their best players over the last few years. Those are all huge losses, honestly, you know, especially if Callens can't go. But Parks, is probably the biggest and the one you want to focus on if you're looking at this NYCFC team. I asked Gonzalo about it um, at, at training the other day, and you could tell he had a lot of respect for Parks, especially in NYCFC's ability to to build out of the back. Um, Parks' defensive midfielder kind of sits back and, and helps them um, release from pressure and everything like that. He mm-hmm. spoke very, very highly of Keaton parks. And you can tell that that's a big loss to the just general infrastructure of that team. So Atlanta is catching these dudes at the right time. 
you know, uh, yeah. and that's kind of all you can ask for. So Parks got hurt in, in NYCFC's second to last game of the season. Um, to replace him was Gideon Zalalem in uh, in the fi- on decision That's day right. against against Philadelphia. And um, I haven't followed Gideon Zalalem too closely um, since kind of he had his old no fling with to. Arsenal and everything many years ago. But uh, he certainly seems like a, a bit of a, of a from what I remember of him a pretty like weak midfielder just in terms of his physical presence in there. And so well, I think that that's something potentially Atlanta could take advantage of. Well, I have bad news. Jeff Patrick, oh, yeah. I can't take advantage of it. He's out. Oh, is he out? Oh, wow. Okay. He got a red card. Well, that, that makes game. him even thinner. I mean, that's another body. Yep, they exactly. wouldn't have been. It looks like James Sands <laughs> exactly. will probably end up playing right back, um, which I'm sure they would mm-hmm. love to have him centrally, unless maybe they want to put Sands central and play somebody. I don't even know who would be the, the right back in, in place of him, but um Either way, you know, they're weak. They're just they're down some players. So um, you got to hope that Atlanta United can you know take advantage of that because Atlanta United's pretty healthy, uh, considering all things considered. All considered. And we had a couple of questions about that. Uh, Christian from the discord asked our Sosa and Marcy fully fit and ready for the game. Um, I'm they're not fully fit. I'm going to say that right off the top. They're not that. But my guess is that they will both be able to go in this game in some capacity. Joe, you talked about leaving Marcy off the lineup. It's probably going to work out anyway for that to be the case for him to be some kind of sub. Obviously, Sosa is is the really probably truly crucial one going into to Yankee Stadium. He was taking part in training, but it was kind of mixed. Mm. It was him participating in drills and then maybe going and running with the trainer by himself. Limited uh, participant. Just getting working. Limited participant. Yeah, that's exactly how you put it. So my guess is he'll be good to go. I think he's going to be ready. And this is why the international break leading into the playoffs was such a blessing for this team. Normally, you kind of have to turn around. And even remember, in, the, in years past, it's been you end the season and, oh, shit, midweek game. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it would have been disastrous for Atlanta in mm-hmm. this case. But for now it kind of works out and you're probably going to have those guys back in some capacity. I bet Sosa is able to start. I would say that um, playing both of those guys together in one starting lineup is very dangerous and probably not something I would do just in case you have some sort of injury reaggravation um, or they're just limited in any kind of way in terms of the amount of ground they can cover and things like that. But in, you know, it's especially kind of important because these are potentially like a central midfield pairing that you would have if you're going with a 3-4-3. Like we've seen Gonzalo Pineda play a 3-4-3 with Santiago Sosa and Marcelino Moreno playing next to each other in central midfield. Both of those players right now injured. And so I would not want or, you know, returning from injury. We think that um, they'll be available to play, but I think it would be pretty. Uh, I would rather have Mateus Rosetto, a very healthy, inform player somewhere in there so that you don't have you know tons of ground for either player to have to cover throughout a, a given game. I, I just think it's a, it would be very dangerous to play both of them together at the same time next to each other, especially. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there, um, for sure. What was the vibe being out of training? Because I haven't been out there in a while. Man, this is good. I'm glad you asked this because I, I forgot to address this. They were getting the hell after each other. Were they? Good. I mean, it was uh, their tackles were coming in maybe heavier than you'd want. There uh, <laughs> was a atmosphere of if you messed up, you heard about it. Mm. You really did in a way that we haven't seen before. Just kind of sit out there training. Now, is that does that mean it's been happening? It's never happened before or anything like that until that day. No, it, it could have been happening all year. Maybe just not 
in front of the media on those training days. Right. Um, but for me, it looked different for me. It looked different. Um, Jake Mulraney kind of dismissed that idea um, during uh, his presser, you know, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. He kind of had to, right? Yeah, he wasn't going to yeah. say no. You wouldn't say, like, yeah, we're training harder now than we were before. Yeah, we're trying now. Like, no, <laughs> yeah, he's not right, going to say right, that. Right. Um, but they were bringing it in a way that they hadn't. And that was really, really encouraging for sure, so, as long as everyone stays healthy. Yeah, you think about it. You, that could very well be kind of um, like not even intentional like to be just like increasing your intensity because you just know what's on the line so you're just naturally Mm -hmm. increasing your you know you're just getting more up for training and stuff like that and then that just increases the level overall but joe patrick that's not to say there wasn't a moment of levity they feel they still found some time to smash another god dang cake instead of eating it how many freaking cakes have they gone through (laughs) this year how many birthdays are on this team. Can we not just do like one cake for all the birthdays? <laughs> what is the cake budget at Atlanta so, United? Is it going to keep us from buying out your condemns contract? These are the questions <laughs> I want to know. Darren, if you're listening, get at me. You know that they make these like cakes that are like do- edible for dogs and stuff. <laughs> they, they should make the cakes like edible for dogs so that after they scoop it up off the grass, they can like put it mm-hmm. in a dog bowl and like, like let the dog, yeah. let, let uh, King, is that the name of the new dog? Let, let King sure. eat some cake uh, over mm-hmm. the next several days. But yeah, I mean, or, 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 or just use like a, a cake template. Then you just like replace <laughs> the icing on top. And uh, man, a really well, dystopian feel, cake there. But I feel like I have some good um, investigative reporting here because I do want to report that there is a guy assigned to pick up the cake. Afterward, he goes out there with what's essentially a broom and kind of sweeps it and kind of picks up the little pieces. Right. There was a trainer helping out, too, as well. I don't know how that guy got roped into helping pick up the cake, uh, but he <laughs> picks it up and then they get a hose and they wash it out. Just hose the it down. So there's not just cake stuck in the turf. I that's don't think. good. Um, that's so good. That's, that's good to know. That's good to know. It's also good to know that we're going to take a quick Before we get back into the break. show, did just want to remind everybody that this episode of Five Stripe Finals brought to you by Lucid FC. That is Lucid Footwear and Clothing. You can visit them online at lucidfc.us. And I highly recommend you go to their website to actually view the clothing because there's no way I can accurately describe to you within this short time frame the kinds of clothing that they have to offer. It's very unique. That's the only thing I'll say. But beyond that, you're going to have to go check it out for yourself. But I highly recommend that you do because you will not see anything like it anywhere. They've got everything to cover you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. Literally, they've got all kinds of different clothing, including masks and anything else you would need for uh, the pandemic, of course. Definitely recommend you checking them out. They are local, too. A couple twins are the founders here from Atlanta. Uh, you can visit them at their shop at in Atlanta at 3209 Paces Ferry Place Northwest. It's behind the Whole Foods and Buckhead. Really good guys. I met them before and really cool company that they've got going so definitely recommend everybody check it out lucid fc that's lucid footwear and clothing and you can visit them online at lucidfc.us use dss at checkout for free shipping wow what a break best break ever you guys had a bunch of questions we're gonna go through them as best we can here to get you ready for nycfc um we already kind of talked about the injuries and everything like that but let's go ahead and do some more discussion about the personnel and tactics. ATL Greg one from the world famous five stripe final discord says, I generally think of a three, five, the back formation as being wider because of the presence of the wing backs. Do you think that's a potential drawback to those formations on NYCFC's pitch? And this is a thought I've had in the past as well. Um, you kind of can't rely on 
your wingbacks to really make that much of a difference because everyone gets cluttered in. In this scenario, though, I don't think you necessarily need them to be the creators. You maybe want them there more as as defensive help, you know, as, as kind of help keeping things compact on your end and, and making sure that the the pot shots that NYC are going to take, right? Because like, those are going to come. That's always kind of the formula, right? Is they just pound you over and over again with with shots from you know creating from this tiny field um to survive that that's why you would have those extra defenders in there maybe not for chance creation purposes yeah that's exactly how i see it and that's kind of the way i've been thinking about it ever since we talked to jeff last week where he was saying that when you play at yankee stadium you kind of need to have the mindset of like you have like a, a divide in the team where your defenders are going to be, you just be more rigid. You know, the defenders are going to just be more locked down doing the defending and the attackers will be able to get forward. Um, but you don't really have the kind of fluidity of the overlapping and the, and the interplay, you know, uh, changing positions and all that kind of stuff. So, um, it clearly has worked for Atlanta United before playing with the back five. And again, I tend to think that when you play with the back five, you're just, you're, you're taking the extra step to just cut out basically all the passing lanes to try to get in behind you. And, you, and when you play with the back five, you can also it's just it's pretty simple to be able to like pass on uh, an inverted or, a, you know, a, a forward that's cutting in from the wing to just pass him off to one of the inside center backs. If you're playing as that outside back. So uh, I just think it makes things a lot more simple to play with five at the back. Um, but it seems like NYCFC has never really done that at, on their home field. Maybe that's because they just know how to better take advantage of, of, of their field and they, their familiarity allows them to play with four at the back uh, more seamlessly. But I think it is kind of worth noting that they don't really do that. So, but Atlanta United has had success with it. So I would, I, I think they will continue to play at five of the with you know the three or five at the back. It's just the it's the more conservative option, and it's probably not the option I would have said before we talked to Jeff last week. But uh, <laughs> I think that that's the way I'm leaning right now. But but I think what what Greg brings up is certainly like a valid thing to consider, which is um, do you do you need that width or are are you even like hurting yourself by trying to create width? But when we we're talking about width in this instance, we're talking about it more defensively and just nullifying all the space for the opposing wingers to do damage against you. Uh, let's, let's, let's move to this. Uh, Christian asks, what should we look for in the fist first 15 minutes of the game that should either encourage us or concern us besides of course, goals for us or NYC. This is a really good question. And I don't know quite, how to think about it because in my mind Atlanta's not going to come out and just boss this game you know um so yeah. the encouraging sign i guess would be that maybe it looks kind of ugly honestly right mm-hmm. like if, if you're trying to win the chaos in this game which i think you are considering how good nycfc has been which we haven't mentioned by the way this is a team that is second in the league and expected goal differential they were first on american soccer analysis's expected points measure in the year so if like we did this season over a thousand times they all things being equal they would have been the supporter shield winners um got a bit oh, unlucky wow. had a few injuries things like that that kind of kept them from being that uh but a very very good team by the numbers so as long as atlanta isn't getting blasted off the field as long as they're cluttering things up and maybe getting a few chances in transition, maybe from some mistakes from some of the newly inserted NYCFC players that have been put in because of injuries or red cards and whatnot, then I think you can maybe feel somewhat okay that this team can 
find a way to win amidst the chaos of Yankee Stadium. I think that's exactly right. And I'm really glad you brought up the the you know, the chaos and the ugliness of it, because that was the other thing I wanted to mention that I looked up uh, about this game that Atlanta United played in 2018 and that one nothing win. Atlanta United in that game had 43 percent possession, yeah. which is obviously very low. But I mean, Atlanta United that year had, I think, the, was the number two or one team in possession overall on the season. It was like them and, and uh, SKC kind of battling uh, for top spot there at like 56% pretty much all season long. And they were at 43% in this game. In that game, they had 61% passing accuracy. I mean, passing accuracy <laughs> is not something we often talk about, but that is so extremely DC, low. DC United ass stat. So that is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I think, but it's suited. I mean, they, they still outshot NYC and FC in the game 11 to eight. And then, well, like, what does that tell you? NYC FC had 56% possession and only had eight total shots. I mean, that's, mm. I think what, Atlanta United would like to do in this game as well. I think they would be happy to just concede possession to NYCFC, but make yourself really difficult to play through the middle. And then you have, if you have, if you're playing with five at the back, you're going to, um, you know, have enough presence out on the wide areas as well to, to nullify NYCFC's attackers. So, yeah, I mean, and the one thing that I remember from that game is just when the team came out and was kind of set up in their defensive organization, just how rigid and structured it all looked in those first five to 10 minutes of the game. And so I think that would be something to just kind of look out for as well. It's more of an aesthetic and not necessarily like a stat or something like that. Mm. But um, I think that that's what this team is going to want to come out and try to establish. You know, as we're saying this, this is we're, we're low key making an argument for Franco Ibarra. To play yeah, in this kind game. of. Yeah. You know, if we're looking for someone to just play murder ball, which of course, Franco Ibarra is the, the out and out king of murder ball. Someone, I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, be opposed to it. I wouldn't yeah, be opposed to it. Um, ben Morales, who, whom I love dearly, sent me this the other day. It was a, uh, it's the FB ref uh, percentiles for players, right? And they break them down into like passing and defensive actions and everything like that. And it shows you the percentiles for each of them. Franco Barra is in like the 90th percentile or higher for like tackles and pressures and defensive actions. And then everything else is like 20th percentile or lower. That's shot creating <laughs> actions. That's passing. That's passing accuracy. It was hilarious. Um, the, the true essence of murder ball, Franco Barra. He, he may have a place in this game. Honestly, if we're talking about getting into a street fight there in the Bronx, there's not many people. I guess you really, really want there, you know? Yeah. You, you definitely want a bar in a street fight. No doubt about it. For sure. Dude, his calves are unreal. He could just kick someone through the bar. It'd be <laughs> amazing. Dude, awesome. Um, let's see here. Uh, Tony asked this. Um, yeah, this is a bit moving around a bit. We kind of didn't structure things. We just kind of went for it today. We just kind of went for it today. Tony says, not sure if you want to get into it yet, but Felipe had a tweet about Miles not being in a rush to move. What ramifications could we expect uh, if we keep all of our center backs or is someone getting pushed probably anton question mark um i'll say right off the top i don't think anton's going anywhere even if they do keep the, the those three center backs you know they, there's always that flexibility to play in a back three no one's commanding too many wages if miles does stay at this point and anton is a guy who we've talked to on the show patreon.com final who loves atlanta just really loves it and came back for a reason you know came back because he enjoyed the, the atmosphere on the team, uh, the city, and no reason to push out a guy like that who's been very, very effective. Um, hey, Joe, any thoughts on, as, as far as the ramifications of 
Miles probably being around because we can say this. Doug Roberson reported the other day that there had been no real offers for Miles at this point from Europe. Which surprising, really, really surprising to me. Um, It's a tough one because I feel like maybe uh, for a player like Miles, player uh, teams would rather come in for him and make that deal in their true offseason, which would, of course, be the regular season for Atlanta United. And it's really tricky to try to to offload a player in the middle of your season any player really but especially especially when he's one of your key center backs that is a guy who plays every game for you it's really tough so i'm surprised though that there hasn't been more interest in him especially considering just the way he's elevated into the u.s men's national team fold and all that uh and i'm still not like certain that what we know now is going to be what the picture looks like in uh, six weeks or so, but we'll see. That's all. That's all a different discussion. Um, I will say this about Anton walks. I, I kind of agree that he would be it, it, like, if you're looking at trying to move somebody because you do certainly have a kind of a log jam of center backs with the emergence of George Campbell this year. Um, I think Anton is kind of a natural player that you would look at and identify and say, well, there probably is a market for Anton walks because he mm. makes 200. Well, his base salary is 250. With with his compensation, that's two seventy five. That's exactly the kind of contract that a team like the Colorado Rapids loves, or any other team. I think any team in MLS would love, love, love a player like Anton Walks for the salary he's on. So that means that he has value and in the league as a trade option, and that's not something that we typically talk about. Um, you don't see those kinds of deals happen a ton, but. Um, and again, Anton would also have to kind of want to leave. I think I, I think that he would have a say in in the move. Maybe not. I don't know. But um, that would make him attractive. That would that alone makes him movable uh, and gives him a lot more value as opposed to maybe, uh, you know, any of the other higher paid center backs. And I don't think the team would be interested in hearing offers for George Campbell at this point. I hate how right you are. That kind of hurt me. But as soon as you said it, I went, oh. Yeah, he might get traded. It's not a it's not necessarily a bad thought from a team perspective uh, to the extent that it makes sense on on paper. Uh, I will say that, of course, he is one of the more vocal guys on this team, on a team that doesn't have a whole lot of vocal guys. Um, And, you know, it was one of those guys at training the other day who was getting into folks and they were messing up in the Jake Mulraney in particular, which was hilarious um, because I mean, half that conversation was just totally, I'm sure, just indistinguishable from. anything right um so uh, <laughs> only brad guzan would be able to, to translate that conversation exactly. uh, uh, jake was talking about it and i giggled because i remembered um the video of, of bobby boswell talking to harrison heath and was, he asked do you think it's mean that they had to put subtitles on you for the videos they do (laughs) (laughs) it was awesome (laughs) that's so funny yeah no i mean i'm not trying to push anton walks out by any means of course uh either and we've talked about him potentially being like a captain material kind of player for this team and he's a guy who could certainly be here for a long time for sure um but he's definitely a player who has you know performed very well over really over the last couple years even going back to the 2020 season that was completely awful for Atlanta United. Anton Walks was probably the one player that you could say played consistently relatively well. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I'm still not completely sold that that uh, Miles won't be moved. But of course, if there's no interest uh, for him, then then he'll stay. Hey, let's talk about some other folks moving. We didn't even address this because we did not do a business time segment. Um, So Doug Robertson 
Well, no, Doug didn't report this. This is just a thing that happened. Uh, the MLSPA released the free agent list for um, the first time have, ever, which was super interesting. We have breaking news, and I, we can talk about this right now, even though it's not getting announced until f- for 15 minutes. Oh, okay. Are you Uh-oh. ready? Good or bad? Wait, prepare me. <laughs> Tease it. Carlos Bocanegra is getting an extension. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know what that word was going to be after you said Carlos. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I got to let it linger there. Um, Yeah. So. Okay. Thoughts. Um, Was there. Okay. Well, this is just we don't have the full. I need you um, to have some thoughts while I text Rob. Yeah. Text Rob. (laughs) um, I'm sure the team just updated us. What we don't have yet is the full release and the full context of it. Uh, I'm sure there will be some kind of language within that release that explains maybe if there are any tweaks to his role uh they don't have to necessarily do that but it might be prudent on their part to somewhat do that uh, considering how the fan base is gonna potentially react to this which is going to be a mixed bag um somewhat understandably because the last few seasons have been a mixed bag um it's interesting i think we've talked about it before on the show that we Assumed he was going to stay around. We have assumed that his role um, has changed to some respect because he does not have the same burden. And it's clear they didn't want him to have that same burden of of building the roster when they brought in Paul McDonough. Obviously, that didn't work out because Paul McDonough is banned for two years from MLS. They bring in, though, they they kind of almost immediately did this. They brought in Dimitri Sestathiu from the league office uh, to, to... be essentially their salary cap guy and to be a guy who can help them with transactions. And I think that is where Bocanegra's role has shifted and kind of mm-hmm. reverted back to what it was in the beginning, which I think is beneficial mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And you know, I, we, I don't know any details about this, but we'll find out more here in about 15 minutes. We're still recording. I uh, don't know how long the, the extension is going to be for, but um yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think you're totally right. This is, this is just throwing our, our whole podcast <laughs> into a total uh, end that we didn't think we were going to talk about. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're totally right about that. Um, I think that also, you know, you you look at some of the moves that have been made in recently and those are those are have clearly been, you know, some good moves. Signing a, a guy or like a guy like Luis Araujo. And also this club has just been in so much turmoil. I do not turmoil. Uh, there's been a lot of upheaval in the front office when you think about. The new, you know, uh, Estathews come in, uh, Tony Anon, just like so many things are have been changing in this front office. It gives a, a little bit of stability um, for, you know, Carlos to just, you know, stay in place and kind of be, uh, you know, st- it just steadies the ship, I guess, to an extent. Um, but I know some people are definitely not going to want to hear that. <laughs> Huge win for the upper echelon speakeasies and Buckhead. Oh, yeah. That none of oh, us yeah. will ever get into. That's Huge right. win. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, Hmm. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, so don't know. I don't think I have any other thoughts besides what I've already said. And what we've already said a bunch of times on this podcast. I, I am interested to see the fan reaction, though, because mm-hmm. uh, I think there will be a loud contingent that isn't happy with that direction. And I think that he is not absolved in the eyes of the fan base yet. And maybe not in the eyes of the team either. Maybe, the, you know, they had to either they had to make a decision. At some point. And that doesn't mean his leash is necessarily 
shorter. It just means they're holding on to it for a little while longer, if that makes sense. Right. Right. Like, exactly. Yeah. There's still yeah. somewhat of a it's not a hot seat anymore. I wouldn't call it that. But that could reignite very quickly if things go south this offseason and it becomes readily apparent in 2022 that things aren't going the way they should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, and again, we'll see how long the contract extension is actually for. But yeah, I mean, I've, it, I, things feel like they're in a good spot where they are right now. Um, yeah. So we'll see where it goes, but we'll see. We'll Some see. big news coming across. Well, I mean, I'm glad we were talking about this then because MLSPA released a, a list of free agents coming up. And I was going to ask you, Joe Patrick, what kind of moves you would make if you were Darren Eels and Carlos Bocanegra? Um, there are four folks who are eligible for free agency after the season ends. Um, some of those have club options. Um, some of those would just need to renegotiate their salaries. Those four players, Mikey Ambrose, Alec Kahn, uh, Brooks Lennon, and Cubo. Torres and so I wanted to go through each player right quick and ask you whether or not you would re-up with them um Mikey Ambrose nope yeah I thought about it too and it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense just because he's so limited in what he can do and just hasn't contributed at all um isn't kind of in that same mentor role as Cubo who is technically getting significant playing time still I think Mm -hmm. he's probably gone I think he's probably gone Mikey, and off to wherever uh, Paul McDonough goes next. Yeah, I, I don't I hate to like, you know, bash a player or whatever, but he's just clearly not the same level, uh, even that he was in 2018 and 2018. I think he was a serviceable player um, that could get out there and do some things for you. A Boy but Scout we, is what Tata yeah, called him. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But uh, we saw him play one time this year uh, when the team was on the road against Cincinnati, when Valentino was still the manager or maybe it was Pineda's first game. No, no, I think it was uh, I think it was Valentino's first game. Or something like that. Anyway, it was on the road against Cincinnati and Mikey Ambrose was just getting roasted. And it was yeah. really honestly, it was like sad to see. And I think he got taken off at halftime. So, yeah, uh, yeah. he's just not the levels, just not there. Um, Alec Khan, I, I think, is a definite. Yes, I don't see any reason not to bring him back. He's a he's a starting quality shot stopper. For, yeah. you know, behind a guy who is, you know, having the best year of his Atlanta United career, but still is 37, 38 now. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a tough. It's a tough one. Only reason being that you know the team did just sign Ben Lungard. He's the current third keeper, but he is on an MLS deal right now. Um, so they might be looking at him to kind of be that backup who never plays. <laughs> like the, your backup goalkeeper is just not going to play much at right. all, um, or at least hopefully you you yeah. hope that he doesn't have to. Uh, and, and if that's I, the case, you don't want him sucking up a lot of salary. And that's why I saw people talking about Rocco Rios Novo. Yeah. Um, that's why you don't want him to to be the backup. Right. right. You want him down with a two still. If he is going to be with the team still, um, you want him down there getting actual reps and playing time. There, There's a reason that Khan is there in that star or that backup position. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I should t- touch on Rocco as well. He's clearly a player that uh, Gonzalo Pane- or, um I'm sorry, Gabriel Heinze really liked. Um, but he is still on loan, first of all, right now. Right. And if the team does want to sign him, I think the loan ends this year. And if the team wants to sign him there, I think there's a heavy transfer. The buy was something it's bonkers. Like, it's like four it million or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's pretty expensive. Like he would basically need to be your goalkeeper, um, your, yeah. ML, like your starter goalkeeper. And it's hard to see that happening. So um, you never know. Maybe that that loan contract could just expire and then they could just negotiate something else entirely. But um, that doesn't seem like an immediate option right now. Uh, Brooks Lennon. 
I would I would bring him back. I mean, you, so. you, you yeah. sign him because he has a lot of value. You could even like bring him back and then trade him if you want. But I think that he's clearly obviously a, a, a huge part of this team right now. And so I don't see any reason why that would change. He's he's versatile. Um, he puts in the effort. Uh, there's some things that are lacking, but I mean, that's every MLS roster, right? Your guys who make 300K are, are going to be somewhat lacking in some areas, right? Yeah. Um, and in Brooks cases, it would, it would be, I guess... Somewhat getting forward. I have some gripes with his uh, ability sure. to get forward and make things happen. Um, the chance creation numbers kind of dispute that a little bit. Um, but you know what? For 300K, you, you take that in a heartbeat. You really do. To, to me, like the thing with Lennon is while he's not going to give you some of the high, high level play that a player like Julian Gress- Gressel was capable of pulling off. Mm-hmm. The, Brooks Lennon's skill set and his traits set up for him to very rarely have some stinker of a performance. Like he's going to give you pretty yeah. consistent performance uh, out there on the right flank. Yep. And again, at the value he's at perfect. Yeah. Bring him on. Um, and then Cubo Torres, who I know how folks are going to feel about it when it happens, but he's probably going to stay because he's making $80,000. <laughs> I think I do. I do not think he will. Um, but that's just me. Okay. The team. Right, has, well, I mean, it's weird. It's we're not going to get into like a, a debate about Kubo here. Yeah, it's uh, well, his situation is weird. He's, he's occupying a really like weird, like newly created like, <laughs> where he's roster technically spot like where, a teacher. Yeah, yeah. He, I'm sure he's done a ton of that. I'm sure he's done <laughs> yeah. so much work for the academy. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, um, MLS roster rules are fun, but guys. maybe I mean, they, I, who knows? Maybe they, they could just bring him back for the minimum if he wants to do that. All righty. Uh, we had a few more questions. We have a bunch more questions, actually. We're just going to roll through this. It's a playoff game. Why not? Shoot, let's, do, just, let's do a long ass episode. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, let's see. B. Mildenhall on Twitter asks, I feel like so much of our attack happens on the flanks. What do we do to adjust the attack on a smaller pitch with personnel information or otherwise this is a very good question. Um, I think you have to to win second balls and, and kind of hit and transition off mistakes as best you can as best you can in that tiny little area. Something like, um, you know, we've seen Louise do it before where he's taken a ball off the break and taken off after an interception and, and made things happen very, very quickly. That's the kind of goal they'll need to score. I think Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, no doubt about it. I totally agree with you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Flukes love flukes. Their, (laughs) their goals too. Flukes are goals too. Um, yeah, no, just exactly what you said. Pack midfield, win second balls. Like, it's going to be an ugly game. I would not go into this game expecting to see some beautiful soccer. It's going to be ugly, and mm-hmm. you just hope that you can kind of catch them in transitions at the right time. Which is totally okay, because as we were talking about the ugliness of the 2018 game, I forgot to mention that Eric Hermetti's goal was hilarious still. He nearly missed yeah. from like two he yards. He nearly missed from like two yards. It like the nearly, he nearly like did that thing you see sometimes in like blooper videos where you slide into the post and like <laughs> jackknife it, I guess, wrecked, and yeah. split the difference. Yeah, you get racked. That's exactly right. Um, so yeah, there you go. That that's how you need to score. Someone someone sacrificed for the team. Um, let's see, vote. His name's just vote. Uh, on Twitter asks, seriously, what is the size of the Yankee Stadium pitch? How will a small field affect how Pineda wants the fellas to play? Will Miles manhandle someone out? He's gotten his first professional red card. Uh, yeah, shout out to mild-mannered Miles for, for getting a red card, by the way. It was not a straight red. Because he hardly that would ever be totally gets booked in general. Yeah. yeah, it was it was weird, but you know what? He did it for the team, I think, in my opinion. So <laughs> worked out well. 
Um, what is what is the size? That, so what regulation is what? It's supposed to be at Min- seventy. I think minimum minimum is seventy. I think yeah. regu- more regulation is more like seventy four yards wide. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It's I somewhere. I think I think standard like is like 74 yards wide by 115 yards long. I have no idea how long that pitch is. Obviously, the mm-hmm. narrowness is what everybody's mo- mainly concerned with. And I think it's more like 68. That's what it looks yeah, like to me. There. I think that's about right. I think that's about right. We talked Which, at length it doesn't, about how it, it doesn't, might affect. It doesn't sound graphics. like a lot. Like it, like it doesn't sound like a lot for it to be like two yards narrower than it, sh- than it should be. But think about that. That's two yards times 115. So that's like, you know. A lot, thousands, two th- two thousand square feet, something like that. square feet. Yeah, yeah. It's lots much more square, square feet w- than square. a Bronx apartment. I'll tell you that <laughs> right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Michael Thornton asks, uh, "Who's getting the red card in this game? Who is getting the red card in this game?" If I had to pick, um, Ooh, Franco Barra. Here we go, murder ball. Franco Barra. Okay, murder um, ball. I'd say it's going to be. Um, I'd say Lennon. <laughs> okay. I think I feel like he's just the kind of guy who would get like super fired up and yeah. yeah. Well, he is that. He is like that. Angry. I just don't think he would like act on it. You know, mm. I'm just kind of guy. I don't That's know. true. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm not gonna besmirch Brooks here for a playoff game. Go get a red card, Brooks. We believe in you. Well, I'm saying this is like uh, a, it's like a, 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 a compliment. That's like a getting a scalp. It's like getting 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 the red card that really uh, at the end of the game and then you know handbags start happening all that stuff mm-hmm. that's the kind of red Love card it. i'm envisioning um kevin big dad energy gorum <laughs> on twitter <laughs> ask what is one thing you would do to disrupt what nycfc does well um and what is one thing we would need to watch out for in the first 15 minutes okay christian asked that already mm-hmm. um so what is one thing you would do to disrupt what nycfc does well one thing joe patrick to mess them up Again, pack midfield with three players, like three three midfielders on top of your uh, a back five. Essentially, what Tata did, and just don't let yourself be playable through the middle. Don't let them do that intricate stuff. Um, and mm. Maxi Morales is the player that you gotta you gotta really identify and make sure you know where he is at all times. Eric Rometty did a great job, kind of man marking him last year in the playoffs. Um, Nick asked this. Nick, twenty twenty one World Series champion, Tool asked this. Yeah, uh, he says, "Who's our hero that gives us an upset win? Baby, it's Franco Ibarra. He's going to do everything. This guy, <laughs> going to get the red card. He's going to score. He's going to do like the full Jermaine Jones special. It's going to roll." I mean, mine's not a fancy answer or a funny answer. It would for me, it would be Louis Louis Araujo, like you know, taking the ball yeah. off somebody, like you said earlier, and going on some crazy run and assisting Joseph. Um. Let's see this. Uh, Jonathan asked over or under that seven players on the roster moved in the offseason. I off the top of my head would say over. Yeah, I was going to say over as well without really having diagnosed it that closely. I just feel like there's always some about that much or more turnover uh, on an MLS mm-hmm. roster on it for any given year. Um, yeah, I think that's just typical at this point. And there will need to be some more continuity than usual. I think for this team, because that's what they've kind of been lacking the last couple off seasons. But like for MLS, eight or nine guys is pretty much that's that's continuity, you know, mm-hmm. on that level. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Um, Joe Laszlo asked, which YMCA soccer field is Atlanta United using to simulate Yankee Stadium? Um, <laughs> I will say that we, of course, asked about how they're going to prepare for it and how they have been preparing for it. Um, they're just going to make the field smaller at the training ground. 
that's it. They're just going to put out some other lines and make it more narrow and practice in tight spaces like they always do. That's a pretty typical part of a training session for Atlanta United. They do a lot of rondos. They do a lot of short side games on small fields, things like that. Um, it, it's not necessarily anything new. Um, what you can't mimic is is not knowing where you are. Right. Again, the disorienting right, yeah. feeling. Um, so they'll do their best. They'll do their best. Um, uh, Pace Nino asked this after the Red Bulls game I'm extremely worried about our ability to handle the press especially on a tiny field can you make me feel more optimistic yes yes I can Payson um, looking at some of the better pressing teams in the league Atlanta United has done pretty okay somewhat okay um, obviously Red Bulls is not it obviously Philadelphia is not it for us uh, but DC United and LAFC that worked pretty well, you know, mm-hmm. um, so, so they can do it to some extent. They can do it and have done it. But it is kind of concerning. I agree. NYCFC team is a is a sneaky good pressing team. They're in the top four in presses in the final third. Um, so, I mean, what I would cause some issues. What I would say is that I don't think this team is probably planning on like intricate buildups where you're beating the press. I think <laughs> yeah. that there's, there's just going to be a lot of over the top um, transition ball going on. And so you don't really have to, I mean, you can't, can't say you like, don't worry about the press, but you're just going to try to bypass it and it's going to be really ugly. So it is going to look gross for most of it, I would imagine, but you hope that you can just, you know, hit on some long balls and, uh, and make something happen. But this yeah, game will be won exactly. and lost in transition. It will. It will. Um, Christian asks, any chance we see something surprising for this game? Alec Khan at center forward, maybe, he asks. Uh, or does Pineda play it straight Alec. ahead? I don't think we'll see Alec at center well, you forward. About the, thought, you, you talked about the wrinkle earlier, you know, just throwing in a, throwing in like a Lennon in central midfield or or doing something like that. I think Which that's I've what decided we're that's it. Like we had another question about <laughs> what, what, you, what you guys think the 11 is. I've decided that's the wrinkle, is that Lennon is moving centrally. Um, Hernandez is, is taking over on the right wing. And everything else kind of looks similar. I mean, Gonzalo Pineda has said that Ronald Hernandez has looked so good in training. That's the reason why he started on decision day where he was like, I can't continually look at this guy and tell him he's performing really well in training and never play him. Uh, and, he keeps, <laughs> and he keeps on getting called That's in awesome. by Venezuela, too. So um, which he's mm-hmm. played for this this uh, international break. So as long as he comes back from that healthy and everything, you would think he would have a chance to, to make an impact in the game on the weekend. Yeah, no, he's very good. He's very good too. So it works for me. I think that if I had to pick one, obviously that's where I'm at. What was the actual wrinkle going to be? It's probably going to be much more subtle and beyond my tiny soccer brain to comprehend, comprehend, right? But mm-hmm. Gonzalo will explain it well in the press conference. That's all that matters in the end. That's all that matters in the end. Um, Joe Patrick, what else matters in the end? Is I guess it's the score. Uh, do we want to put a prediction on on audio Ooh. right here? <clears throat> sure. Let's do it. Um, I'm going to say, <laughs> I'll say Atlanta United wins because I'm a homer and I can't, I can't go out of here predicting them losing on penalties. Ooh, on penalties. Okay, cool. I like it. I like it. Uh, one one NYCFC. I'm just saying one one. So you're two one. I'm one one. Yeah, I think the goal comes late and kind of dumb <laughs> and so, soul crushing. There we go. Again, soul crushing because it'll mean that Atlanta United learn nothing. <laughs> Over the course of the season, I've compared them before to like a kid at the playground who like does something stupid and falls off the equipment, right? Like falls off the jungle gym and like cries for a second. And you like pick him up and say, "Okay, did you learn what not to do? And they go, yeah. And they finally stop crying. 
then you turn your back and two seconds later they're back doing the same thing on the jungle gym mm-hmm. Lenny and I needs to learn a lesson they just need to learn damn it the world is now reacting to Carlos Bocanegra's multi-year contract extension that was announced multi-year, today multi-year multi-year huh? the length of the contract was not announced but it is multi-year apparently um, do we have the release in front of us I probably I'm do I'm pulling it up right now pulling it up right now oh nope Bo- that's my... will address media tuesday at 1 p.m okay that's, that's tomorrow <laughs> yeah that's um, not today i panicked too for a second i was like oh crap well you should know um, that my apartment gate is broken right now so that's number one uh let's see la united <laughs> today announced it has signed carlos bocanegra to a multi-year extension under bocanegra's leadership uh blah 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 there's not really any any news in it other than there's uh, a whole lot of filler. <laughs> um, it's basically Carlos Bocanegra's bio. Bocanegra spearheads Atlanta's roster construction, which prior to the club's expansion season established a model of acquiring younger designated players approaching their prime. Still, we're still in the bio. I thought that might be interesting. Here's a, seconds, the quote from Darren Eels. Carlos came to Atlanta United straight from a decorated playing career and immediately put the same energy and passion he had on the field into his front office role. Since the entering league in 2017, Atlanta United established itself as a top MLS club, and Carlos has been an integral part of that success from building an academy that has already produced USMNT players to drafting Miles Robinson to establishing a scouting and recruitment department uh, from which assigned players from Joseph Martinez, Luis Araujo. Carlos has worked tirelessly for the good of the club. Therefore, I'm delighted to announce an extension that will allow him to continue to work alongside Gonzalo Pineda in this next exciting chapter of our history. Established all those things, but ain't established the damn run yet. Shameful. <laughs> Shameful, Carlos. There you go. There's already some mixed feelings going on in the uh, <laughs> in the discord. So don't read the Twitter comments. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't read. Yeah, get off. Don't Twitter do that for sure. Go to the discord. Uh, Patreon.com slash five stripe final is where you can join the discord. We'll have interviews and all sorts of stuff coming up this week. Going to talk to Tom Boger. Going to talk to Matt Doyle. Hopefully going to talk to some folks um, from the other side of things at, uh, from NYCFC. Um, all that is kind of in the works right now. We'll get it to you. As soon as we can before the playoff game. Uh, but yeah, Joe, I think we went through pretty much all the questions and and did everything we could to prepare the people here. That was um, a doozy. That was fun. There'll be more to come. For sure. For sure. All right. Joe, anything else before we get out of here? I'm good. All right. We love you. Bye, y'all. Bye.